Welcome to another episode of the Gay Archive Show, where we explore gay history one bar at a time. I'm your host, Art Smith, and today we'll be talking to Bev Cook and Alan Collins about their iconic Atlanta bar heretic and some of their other experiences in the Atlanta gay bar scene. So welcome to the show, Bev and Alan. Hi. Hello. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. It's been a while. Yes, it is. So both of you have a long history with the gay bar scene in Atlanta. Um, and most recently, for the last couple of decades, you've both been involved with um, the Heretic over on Cheshire Bridge Road, which has become an iconic Atlanta bar. Uh, one of the one of the longtime survivors in the Atlanta gay bar uh, gay bar market. So, but before we get dig into that, let's talk a little bit about the backstory. When I first met Bev, it was the late '80s, and she was working over at Backstreet. Come about. I was uh, actually singing and playing guitar around town, and I did a couple gigs at the time. I went over there. The bar was closed except for the upstairs where the pond, the fish pond was. Right. And I was singing up there and, and Vicki and I became friends. And when she would close at night, I would go down and sit with her and we would talk. And I was talking to her about my history of being in management. And she said, oh, do you want to manage this bar? And I, I had no clue what I was committing to. And I said, sure. I had no, no clue what the bar business was about. But um. So I started opening and closing that little room every day for her. And then one day I asked John Vera, I said, can we, would you be interested in reopening the rest of the club? Because John was over there at the time. And he said, yes. And then they reopened it. And I, I stayed on as manager and um, learned all about the business from working at that club. It was a great great learning experience. I couldn't have gone to college for, you know, that I couldn't have done any better than working there to learn all about the business. So I, um, I stayed on for about three years and the staff grew and the staff grew and I learned and I learned. And when I felt like it was time for me to go, I resigned and I went over and decided I wanted my own club. And I kept driving by the sports page and it was empty. And I kept thinking, maybe that's a good spot, you know. And eventually I talked to the owner of the sports page and asked her if, if I could rent it. And that's, she said, yes. So I went in and started remodeling and getting it ready for activities, getting a license and all that. I remember those days. Um, now, Backstreet, for the one or two people listening to this program that may not know, Backstreet was the Mac Daddy nightclub of Atlanta gay life after you came in the door. Um, I don't know how many square feet it was because every report I've seen is different. But 18,000. 18,000 square feet. It was a three-story club with a massive dance floor a gigantic disco ball over the dance floor. Um, the third floor that you were talking about, if I remember correctly, it seems like when I first moved to Atlanta, 
there was also like a brick barbecue pit on that floor, like for grilling out uh, hamburgers or something on the weekends or Sunday. I don't remember. I don't remember that. I remember. I, I know that there was a fish pond. Um, this was in '87 when I went over yeah. there, and they still had the fish pond and uh, the big long bar. And there was one employee working up there at the time. So when I went over there, there was one staff member, and it was basically that they wanted to keep some portion of it open. I'm sure, you know, for keep whatever reason. Yeah, and it just was kind of like a neighborhood pub kind of feeling. Yeah, that then bar, it went gangbusters. <laughs> then it, it went opened, gangbusters. It opened in 1975 and um, stayed open for almost three decades. I closed what on January 1st, 2005, I think it was, at the stroke of midnight. Um, <clears throat> so it had a long run. And of course, after you left there, it became a 24-hour club, which really kind of blew everybody else out of the water. The craziness. It actually uh, became a 24-hour club when I was still there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I have heard, yeah. nobody's been able to confirm this, but I seem to remember for some reason, um, it became a 24-hour nightclub when Weekends was forced to close by um, the developer who had bought the property there. And, and back, right. And they were allowed to transfer the license to another location within X number of days. So if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to remember seeing the liquor license at Backstreet once it became 24 hours, weekends too at Backstreet. Yeah, weekends doing business at Backstreet. Or doing Backstreet. business at Backstreet, yeah. yeah. So that was very yes, that cool. happened. And that was, that was another thing that I was unfamiliar with, a 24-hour club. So I went from one room to... 18,000 square feet to we went to then a 24-hour club so like I said the education I received there in the bar business was phenomenal oh absolutely bears bears were very knowledgeable and had been been in the business forever and so it was really a perfect fit for me as far as learning the business so do you have a diploma on your wall that says uh you know bar management from Vera University <laughs> I should. <laughs> we'll see about getting I should. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we'll see about getting you one. Oh, okay. So Alan, you've been involved in the gay scene as well for a long time. From what I understand, back in the day, before you got involved with uh Bev and Heretic, um many years earlier, you were involved with one of the iconic um Atlanta bar owners that everybody knows and many people love. Dina Collins. Um, she operated the Rose, uh, Dina's One Mo Time, Ho Downs, Three Legged Cowboy, and she, I think she mentioned to me also Uptown uh, that she was an owner in Uptown. And being Collins, was this nepotism? Are you like her long lost gra grandson or something? <laughs> so the, there's the, there's so many of us um, in in the community. Um, and maybe we'll go into it later, but there's like five of us. None of us are related, um, and none of us knew each other beforehand. But um, yeah, I worked. I worked for Dina at um, at Hoedowns when it was down the street here on on Cheshire Bridge. Um, and I moved here in December of '92, and um, started working there in sometime in '93. So that's almost that's like. 
30 years ago. So you must have been about what, two? 12. I was skinny. I was skinny and had hair. That's how long ago I was. Well, the bar business will do that to you. <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> you speak the if, truth. If not the patrons, the employees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what was it like working at, at Hoedowns? What, what did you gather from that? Um, I absolutely loved it. I had, I had never really, um, really, really bartended in a high volume, um, bar before. Uh, I, when Sheila came, I, I was there as a patron and when Sheila came up to me, I was, I had no money. I was broke as hell and I would go into hoedowns, um, and I would get a pitcher of draft beer, just one <laughs> and, um, and sit there in the, in the corner and watch it, listen to the music. And Sheila came up to me and, um, she's like, Hey, do you know how to bartend? I'm like, and I lied. I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I had bartended a little bit, but nothing crazy. And, um, she gave me her, her number. She said, call me on Monday. And, um, and so I started there, um, on happy hours on Monday and Tuesdays. And then something happened and I, I got promoted or, or got a night shift and worked there probably for about, about a year. Um, I absolutely loved it, uh, just because I loved, loved the music. Um, and you know, cause I'm, I've always been into country music and, um, just loved it and, and the people, the, the country crowd is, they're typically very welcoming, very friendly. Um, and it was just a good, good, good place to work. Yeah, I have fond memories of that place and Dina's one more time. Mm -hmm. um, Dina, when I first met her, um, was probably around the same time that, that Bev moved to Atlanta. It was the, the mid 80s, I think. And Dina was just um, an overwhelming personality. She was she was a character. She was almost a caricature of herself. She was, you know, iconic, that, that pitch black hair. You know, she was, went out of her way to be the proper Southern um, mother or grandmother or whatever. You know, that was her, her public persona was to be this, you know, this, this warm and loving bar owner who cared about everybody in the bar. And, and you never saw her when she didn't look amazing. This is true. And she still looks like she's 87. Yeah. yeah. I, you, I just told her, <laughs> you just told her age. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she'll tell it when I interview her next week. She'll be the same way. She'll be just... <laughs> uh, and she, 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 she is such a, a, an incredible person. I mean, she would walk up to she knew everybody that walked into her bar um, and, and she, Sheila would get mad and, and make her go home because she wanted to give everybody money that, um, that, you know, she was so generous to a fault really. Um, you know, people would, would cry about their rent and she'd sneak them money. And she was like, get out of here. I need to make some money. Um, she was, she's so, so generous. Um, such, such a great, great person. Um, the people out there watching that, that, don't know Dina. Um, she was a hoot. She really, she is a hoot. Um, love her to death. Well, stay tuned because we'll be posting an interview with Dina in a week or two. Um, so at this time, Bev has now left Backstreet and you have left Hoedowns. And it's the early 90s. Well, late 80s, actually, wasn't it? When did you open 2069, Bev? I believe it. I I think it was 1990. 
So, 91, 90, 91, somewhere around. I, I wasn't here yet um, when 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 she opened 2016. I was still living in Virginia. I didn't move here until December of 92. So now you were. Well, Alan, came, Alan and Ray came later after I yeah. opened. Alan is, um, has got the distinction of being one of the, the Atlanta gay bar people who apparently never left Chester Bridge Road. Uh, <laughs> I think the city council is working on that, but. <laughs> Between the pandemic and the bridge, yeah, it's going to take more than that. <laughs> so, you mentioned um, Sports Page, and Sports Page was the predecessor to 2069. You were working at Backstreet while Sports Page was operating, and it was like the ultimate women's gay bar in Atlanta at the time, correct? That's true. Yes, right. Did you go there frequently as a patron? Was that one of your favorite yeah, bars? Yes, I did. I, I went there more. I went there and I went to a bar called Tallulah's. Oh, but I, I, I primarily frequent in the sports page. I also played music there. Oh, very so cool. that, and my other connection was the guitar. I did a single act. I see. But, um, and just another kid. Pardon me? You still do that, don't you? Yes, but I'm in Ohio right now, so. Yeah. I just do it in Ohio. But uh, a little tidbit, the owner of the sports page last name was also Collins. Betty? <laughs> Betty Collins. Yeah, um, Alan had mentioned that to me the other day on the phone, and I kind of chuckled because I didn't know that was her last name. I always knew her as B.C. Yeah. So it never occurred to me what her last name was. It was just B.C. And my initials are B.C., so here I am stepping into the... Not weird. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with the year of your age, right? Of your birth. Not you no, born. I, would, I wouldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> so sports page is sitting there. You've left Backstreet and you decide you want to spread your own wings and open another bar. And you go to BC and kind of knock on the door and say, hey, Betty, I want to do something here. What do you think about it? And you struck a deal and opened... Uh, 2069. Right. It was currently shut down and shuttered. Ah. So um, it had been closed for a minute, maybe a year or two. It was selections before that briefly, ah. which was a, a dating, kind of a dating game bar. I'm not sure how exactly. I, rem I remember that because um, at the time I was publishing my magazine Ovation and Mark Jackson from Brushstrokes and I uh, did an event there, a regular night there that we called SOB, which was Sensations, Ovation, and Brushstrokes. And I remember that uh, being in that building. And the only thing I remember about it was some kind of a, a mailbox dating game where you would wear a number or something and you would write a secret note to somebody else and they would put it on a little screen or announce it on the microphone and say, um, B22 says C11 is really sexy. And they would, you know, the idea was to meet each other uh, in the bar. I never went to Selections, but um, they moved to Selections. They moved to that name and that idea because I don't know what, what was going on with the sports page. But anyway, it didn't stay open too long. And then they shuttered it and it was totally closed. They just kind of locked the doors and walked away. 
So when I went over there to open 2069, I used the address just because I didn't really have a name. It was 69. But yeah, well, that worked too. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, it was, it had been closed for a while and syrup was everywhere. And I mean, it was a mess. So I had to get an uh, exterminator in there. And I mean, it was a pretty big cleanup. And then we started um, putting up partitions and sectioning it off. And uh, then I had a soft opening as 2069. And mostly the lesbians came back, mostly females came back. A few people from Backstreet that I knew that were my customers came over to see me and stuff, but it was 2069 for a year, I think. Now, did you have to dig into your stereotypical uh, lesbian handy, handyman skills to get that place into shape, or how did that come about? Well, I, had, I actually had uh, a lot of help. Uh, some people from Backstreet Peaches came over and helped me clean up the stools and Dell Biggers was there helping me build walls and stuff and just people that were going to be working there. But at the same time, you know, I was trying to, to generate some revenue. So that's why it was 2069. And then we would work, work after hours and stuff and do stuff. But um, when we formally opened as the heretic, it was like a year later. And I really didn't have I didn't know what it was going to be, to be honest. I knew it was going to be for guys because Backstreet was predominantly men, and that's kind of what I knew. But it started out one way, and then it got kind of <laughs> sea-deep there for a while, and I had to, like, step back and try to figure out what our direct direction was going to be. And we ended up with a very diverse um club that offers all kinds of different things on different nights so it basically became a place for country drag shows leather all of it so but the the community built that bar as far as the clientele they sort of dictated to me what they wanted just by the things they showed up to and things like that so i knew that I was just going to let it go, let, let it take its own direction. And that's what I did. And, and our, employ our employees are amazing. And the clientele has been so loyal. And they really kept us afloat. And, you know, they're the reason that me and Alan and Ray have what we have. Because I, I, I stepped in there with 500 bucks. That's what I had on a credit card. No kidding. And an idea. So it can be done, but boy, was it rough. So, um, in fact, you mentioned um, a name from the past, Dale Biggers. And um, Dale and I were roommates briefly. Uh, I had moved to Atlanta with Chris Dillahay, and he and Dale were great friends. And Dale moved in with us um, over on Beaver Highway for a while. But he was also involved in, in somewhat, I'm not going to say early, but the 90s era. Um, Atlanta Pride too, wasn't he? Yes, as I was. So um, he was somebody yeah, who made a big he, impact on Atlanta. Yeah, he actually ran the leather shop for a while at the Heretic when I first opened. Oh, very cool. So he was involved at the Heretic briefly too. But he he left and went to Hoedowns. <laughs> Is that right, Adam? Over the anvil, yeah. 
That's when they yeah, switched the hoedowns. I don't know. I guess hoedowns had moved to where transfer was, and they changed that building, the old hoedowns, to the anvil. And Dale, Dale um, was managing that. Now, 2069, or the Heritage, the building itself, um, you, you haven't added anything to it, right? It's the same size as it, as it always was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what we've done is basically partitions and to make areas so the flow is good, the traffic, you know, it's not one big open spot. But uh, it's, uh, what, between six and 7,000 square feet, right, Alan? Yeah, it's just just under seven thousand square foot. Um, and the it, when 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 Heretic opened, it was very very much the the eighties nineties look. Um, with you know, the dance floor was was you know had walls around it, and rooms were were sectioned off. Um, and um, so over the years, instead of, you know, we've never remodeled anything major, but we would knock out a wall here and there and open it up. Um, and that really changes the, the dynamic of the, um, the room. Um, you know, you go from an enclosed dance floor and you take out a couple walls and it makes the whole lot bigger and put in some video screens. And um, yeah, so yeah, we've never done anything structurally to the outside, but um we're always painting something or moving something or on the inside. Now, speaking of outside, you know, you said it's about 7,000 square feet under roof, but you must have almost that much square footage outside. You have a huge patio there, don't you? Yeah, we have, um, we actually have two. We have a, a front patio, which we opened um, some years back for um, our infamous um, uh, Memorial Day beach party where we trucked in 20 tons of sand uh, into the it was amazing I've got the video for that I'll send it to you um, it was so fantastic until my cleaning crew Ed King <laughs> threatened to quit because um, for probably about a year and a half after that party uh, he was still cleaning sand out of the bar uh, it was but it was amazing I would do it again in a heart in a heartbeat now, was, um, was that the, the party where Bev showed up dressed as a mermaid and was out in a, a little kiddie pool in the front? <laughs> I remember a, a, a dunking booth. You, oh, you yeah, yeah. I did get dunked. <laughs> <laughs> we had a phone party, too, didn't we, Alan? Don't get me started with the phone party. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> I mean, it was, well, okay, so for anybody out there listening, if, if you're thinking about doing a phone party, first of all, don't do it. Second of all, if you do do it, please hire a professional because the the way the foam mixture works, it, it has to be so accurate. Um, if you get it off by just the slightest, the formula um, off by the slightest bit, you either get too much foam or not enough foam. And it's a bit, we did one inside before we did the floors. Um, uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, so we've done a couple, but never again. Never Have you been did. able to get away with this because Bev is like a thousand miles away? And yes. You can't crack the whip when you. It's easier to. It's easy. Easier to ask forgiveness than permission. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, uh, I find we talk frequently. Yeah. But I'll see something on Facebook every now and then, and I'll call him and I'll say, "What was that? I saw on Facebook." <laughs> <laughs> and then I, then I tell her how much money she made. She's okay with it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, 
We've been so fortunate, though, with our loyal clientele. I can't speak to that enough. They, you know, they have, they have kept the heretic afloat. They really have. I mean, their support. I mean, we have clients that started coming to the bar when they were 20 and now they're 50 and they're still coming. So that's a tremendous, I mean, that's, we've been open, what, 30 years, 31 years, um, counting 2069. And we literally grew up together with our clientele. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy place. I have so many memories of that place. You mentioned, um, Bev, that in the early days, it had a little bit of a raunchy appeal to it and had a questionable image. I remember, yeah. I remember going there numerous times. Uh, I think this was before Alan came into, uh, into the picture, but I remember going there and I can't, it was, I think a Wednesday night, was it Wednesday night? Um, Are you gonna bring up the flashlight? Where dress code, dress code party. Yeah, and it was it was like pitch dark in that bar, and there were big. I, for some reason, now my brain may be playing tricks on me, but I remember like big whiskey barrels around there, oil cans or oil, oil barrels, oil barrels, and, on the dance um, floor. And who knows what happening in the random hallways and and exactly. Yeah, I I remember those days. And the, I re- just, the reason uh, for the barrels, though, um, the reason for the barrels were to occupy space on the dance floor because right. it, it took up space and it made it look a lot fuller than it was with with fewer people and it gave you that kind of you know junkyard macho mm-hmm. image yeah. when you walked right. in. it didn't look like a you know like a backstreet dance floor it looked like a yeah it was it was more leathery more leather crowd mm-hmm. you know and um sort of had a bathhouse feel to it maybe for a minute you know? yes without showers <laughs> and i remember uh, i remember in those i used days, to go around with a flashlight and they they uh used to tease me all the time because it was dark and i was like why do men like it so dark you know <laughs> but i listened to my staff and really? Beb, yeah. isn't it time for you to go home <laughs> yeah that's what they would tell me and i would say i wonder why they want me to leave <laughs> I remember in those days, just down the street on Cheshire Bridge, um, kind of close to where where uh, Hoedowns was, there used to be a line of police cars on that Wednesday night that would just park in the parking lot and watch to see, you know, who was coming, appeared to be coming out of a bar or whatever at two, three mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning, and they would like pull everybody over. It was crazy. It was yeah, terrible. I mean, of course, back then we know that there were a lot of issues with the police. They had the raid at the Eagle that was later. They had a bunch of kind of subtle abuse of the gay uh, bar-going public, but it is what it is. Yes, and that's that's sort of one of the reasons I started the Bar Owners Association when I was at Backstreet, because as bar owners, as a bar manager, I didn't know anybody else that worked in a bar. So like if someone was passing bad bills, I didn't even know the numbers of other bars to call them and tell them. So when we started the uh, Bar Owners Association, BOA, um, we got to meet once a month with all the bar managers and or owners and discuss things going on with the police, with the city, with the mayor, you know, and with clientele, or if someone got robbed, they could call and say, hey, be careful, this guy, just just, just happened at my place. 
So I was really glad because that's when I really felt a part of the community, when we all started getting together and meeting at different clubs. So we got to see each other's clubs. We got to get to know each other personally on a personal level. So when you went to visit, you didn't feel like a stranger. I was just really, because of, you know, the police were targeting gays and, uh, you know, so we, we really needed that. And I was, I was glad to be a part of that. Yeah, and I'm glad you did that. I was, um, I attended quite a few of those meetings. Yeah, I'm still on Backstreet. That's when we started that. Yeah, I attended them because I was publishing, you know, gay magazines at the time. And um, I wanted to know what was going on with the bar owners and to meet the bar owners on their own turf. And um, and that was a godsend. The, the BOA was just an incredible organization, even though there were, you know, catty remarks and and stupid comments about, you know, one bartender bad mouthing another or whatever, one bar owner. No, no petty stuff, yeah. But um, but that was a time too when Atlanta was coming into the age of having a lot of gay bar owners. In the past, when you were in the 70s and into the 80s, a lot of the bar owners were not actually gay people. They were businessmen with questionable connections that owned multiple bars. Um, you know, they had one owner had five or six bars here. Another owner had two or three bars there. And it was almost like a weird uh, collection of, of people who owned the bars. But by the time you got into the nineties, you started seeing people like Bev that would step in. And the person who owned the bar was actually an active member of the community. Um, you had Dina Collins, who owned several bars, who was obviously a lesbian. You had uh, Jill, um, who was involved with the Tower Lounge and a couple other bars. Um, you had uh, Mark Ramey over at Blake's. You had Paul Hargash over at Burkhardt's. You had all these different people that were part of the community. And I think that's one of the reasons that um, the Bar Owners Association worked, is because you weren't, you know, some kind of executive business owner, but you were a hands-on bar owner. And it really did benef benefit. I mean, there was a lot of petty stuff going on, you know, like anything, but we had uh, potential Senate candidates and things coming to the meetings and doing their spiel. We've had the mayor, the chief of police. We had a lot of people there so we could express our concerns. Then I became the liaison to the mayor for the gay community for a, a few years as well. So that we never had a liaison at the time. So, you know, it just, it was something that was needed because there was a lot of stupid stuff going on with the cops and rage and, and just ignorant things from people just not understanding us and who we are. Right, and you did it so at that it was time. Critical. It was at that time that we didn't we, have the internet. So no. you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, go to Facebook and say, oh, I wonder what's happening over at Dina's. Let me look at her Facebook page. There was none. Right. Right. Well, thank God for the books, you know, the right. print material that you guys put out because that was our underground little railway sort of to, to, to all the what's going, what's happening in, in the community. 
that's the only way we knew was look at the book. Let's look at et cetera magazine. Let's look at Uptown. Let's look at whatever, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the heretic has a really cool image. For people that look at the heretic's ads or the Facebook page or just the logo, the website, it kind of looks like some kind of version of maybe the eagle. It's got that very masculine look to it, a little bit of whimsy, because the logo, if I'm not mistaken, is a griffin, isn't it? What yes. Is the, it's a griffin in there. Where did that come from? That actually um, came from Dale Biggers. He was in Germany, and he came back and saw that, and he thought it would be nice. So I had Jeff Black. I don't know if you remember him. Is he the guy who did the Jeff Tech t-shirts? That I'm not sure, but he designed our logo, and we had to just we had to modify it. I asked him to modify it because we didn't want to like steal someone's right logo. But it was from a, a place in Germany. I don't know if it was a club or just something he saw somewhere on a billboard. And so we looked it up and found a griffin and modified it and thought, well, this would be cool. And so we put the split tongue on it and things like that that aren't typical of a griffin. And is and, that there since day one? Is that the original logo? Yes. Yes, it is. So it is certainly... And the heretic... I'm sorry. It has certainly withstood the test of time. I mean, there's not a lot of logos that 30 years later still look cool. 31. 31 yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, 32 for me then. Yeah. Could count 2069 is 32 years. Yeah. But the, the heretic means outcast or nonconformist, which I thought was perfect for, you know, a, bar a gay club. Outcast a, gay, a gay club. Yeah. A gay club. Yeah. Then one year <laughs> we had a party for Halloween and we, we put a pentagram on the floor with tape, just the seasons of the, I, didn't, I don't know what this theme was, but. People got really freaked out by that. So we pulled it up. We pulled the tape up, you know, it scared them. So you go from, you know, they, they felt like it was because the heretic is, is also associated with witchcraft. Right. It started in a Catholic church. If you divorced or violated any of the rules of the Catholic church, you were thrown out and called a heretic. And the definition in Webster's is nonconformist or outcast. And then of course there's other definitions as you go down. So it came to get it over the years and over time, it, it sort of had a witchcraft sort of connotation to it or something evil. Well, in that it's time frame too, in that time frame too, they had the, the Blair Witch Project, which was kind of an underground movie that was, you know, very popular kind of cult flick whatever and so it was it was kind of a hot topic back then right so it, it but it's worked for us i mean we're open to anyone everyone's welcome at the heretic you know it's it's really become a nice mix wouldn't you say alan yeah no absolutely um when i first started here it was the, the clientele was 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 leather I mean, it was it was it was pretty much similar to to the eagle, um, and oh, but over the years we've we've kind of 
evolved. Well, I, I absolutely call it evolution. We've evolved into what we are today, which um, I, I, I'm not sure I, I can think of a word that describes exactly what we are. We, we cater to, to every, pretty much every um, subculture of the community and or have had had events for um, um, for different types. We're not just one thing. Um, we're not a twink bar. We're not a leather bar. We're not this. We're everything. Um, and I, I kind of joke and joke joke with people. I'm like, if you can't find it at the Heretic on any given day, it probably doesn't exist because we we do. You know, mon Monday nights we do a black drag show. Wednesday nights we do a gamer night. Thursday nights we do country. Friday nights we'll do um, the DILF party. We'll do um, a straight gothic party. Uh, we just do so many different things, and um, and I think that's that's one of the things that has ensured or, or given us the longevity that we we have we've had because we opened ourselves up to everybody. We, we're not saying you know we're just this and we only want customers that like this. We're you know. Everybody's welcome always. You know, you know exactly what you're gonna get when you walk into the Heretic. You're gonna get a friendly staff, you're gonna get a good drink at a reasonable price, and you're probably gonna have fun. So, you know, get ready for it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to Atlanta in a few years, but last time I was there, I was at the Heretic several times. And um, it was, you're right, it was always a different crowd, a different vibe. Some nights were a little bit, you know, darker or more masculine than other nights. Um, but you never really felt intimidated or like you couldn't be in there. You know, sometimes you walk into an eagle dressed the wrong way, you feel like a complete outcast. Um, I remember, Bev will get a chuckle out of this if she remembers back when she first met me. I was very preppy then. I was extremely, you know, very much into the pressed blue jeans or khaki pants um, and button down shirts or golf shirts or whatever. And I came down to visit Tampa once and never heard of this bar called um, 2606, which was like a, a leather bar here in Tampa. And somebody told me, yeah, go there on Tuesday to have a great happy hour and everything. So I walk into the bar and I'm wearing a pair of pastel colored, like pink and light blue mattress shorts and, a, and an Izod shirt with um, white leather moccasins. And I walk into this bar and everybody in there has like harnesses and um, they've got these gigantic um, like nipple piercings and everything. And here I am, this little blonde boy kind of walking into the bar in my little little gay plaid outfit. So, yeah, it's a, a different experience. But now at, at places like Heritage, I mean, you do so many different types of events and so many different theme nights that it's just amazing. I mean, you have done a phenomenal job of building a bar that is a, an amazing addition to the Atlanta nightlife scene. And over the years, I can't even begin to count how many bars have come and gone. Um, I think when you opened that bar, that was kind of the heyday of Atlanta bar scene, if I recall correctly. And there were like 30 plus gay bars in the city of Atlanta. I mean, they were all over the place. 
Probably more than that. Yeah, it took a it took us a couple years to get our base going and really, you know, start seeing the volume and the people coming in and oh, I like your place and this is so much fun and. But again, the staff. I mean, you're only as good as your staff. That's the way I feel about it. Absolutely. And um, so I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed that. I could retire, sort of semi-retire when I left. But I was, what, 61 when I left, and I had been there for 21 years. And I go and fly down and visit when I can, and you know, so. But I feel so comfortable and so reassured with Ray Collins and Alan Collins there. Um, I don't see anything that I would do differently if I was in the building, and I spent – a couple of years with Alan, what I would say, training him or just basically walking him through what I would do if I was in the club. And he's just an amazing, amazing manager. He has so much on his shoulders and he, I know how stressful in a bar and, and running a, a club is. And I, I'm glad he's there and isn't burnt out yet because he's really talented. So when you first laid eyes on him, he came into your door and you decided to start talking about working at the Heretic and eventually becoming the general manager of Heretic. Did you look at him and say, hey, he looks like an outcast. We should hire him and put him on top of the pile. Or how did that come about? <laughs> Tell him how you got hired, Alan. So, so um, um, talking about Dina Collins, which we, we love and adore. But um, the reason I'm sitting here with you today uh, is because Dina Collins, when I worked for her at, at Hoedowns, uh, she told me to go on down the road. Those were her exact words. And she, she let me go. It was a Sunday night. I'll never forget it. I, uh, I you know, only been in Atlanta for about a year and was making good money at, at Hoedowns and um, came down here and got really drunk. Um, and was crying on Ray's shoulder for, you know, all night long because I was afraid that I was going to have to move back to Virginia because I had gotten fired from, from Hoedowns. And um, the next morning, um, my phone rings, and I was so hungover. And it, I said, hello, and it was Ray, and he said, can you start tomorrow? And I said, okay, and I started bartending the next day here. Um, and that was a few months, I think. Um, that I was doing that, and then they trained me to do uh, to be a closing manager, um, and then Bev started training me to do do the day the day stuff, and it was probably closer to it was over two years that that you, I mean it was like every day she would show me something new, and I had no clue about any of this, no clue. Um, and I mean, she she taught me everything that I know about this business, and I've learned new things, of course, that have come along since then. But um, but yeah, it was like I would come in every day and learn something from Bev, and then I'd bartend at night. Um, and then you know, when she felt comfortable that I knew what I was doing and and I could handle it, then um, she gave me gave me the the reins and has trusted me to to keep to keep it going. And uh, I'm not sure, I can't give you one reason why, one reason 
why we've remained successful um, because it's it, so many so many factors, but it all comes down to our, our clientele. Uh, it, it comes down to our customers, how we treat our customers, um, and the the feeling people get when they leave. Um, you know, if they left here, had a good time, uh, they're going to want to come back. And um, and we just keep trying to do that over and over. And because uh, we have we have customers that are, that are, you know, we we've been open 31 years. They weren't even born when. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when we opened and it's crazy because I look at these kids and I'm like, you can't be 21. There's no way you've got to be what 17. And they're like, no, I'm 25. And they get younger and younger. It seems like, but, um, it's, it's but it all comes down to the customers. Um, we have the most loyal customers. Like Bev was saying that, that our, our customers have grown up with us and that was what was really challenging for us because when, when we opened, when Bev opened, the people that were in their 20, you know, in their twenties, they have grown up and they have gotten married or gotten partners and they don't go out anymore. So, so it, it, it's been, it's so challenging because all these people that we have um, gotten used to are not coming out anymore. And we're like, well, what the hell? What the hell do we do? So that's where I had to figure out how to get the kids and how to, you know, from different communities. And um, and we've figured it out so far. Well, you also, you know, I bet probably wasn't thinking about this at the time she opened the bar. But um, you have a very uh, fortunate location because at the time, over the over the decades, um, Cheshire Bridge has been a major corridor for gay activity. Uh, the Terra Theater parking lot has had <laughs> numerous bars. Um, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> you knew there were, when you worked for Baxter, wasn't Weekend's okay. Warehouse up there? Uh, Levita, yeah, um, Showcase. Um, <clears throat> there was a, I think it was called Showcase. There was a Showcase Cabaret. Um, there was a whole bunch of bars that were located in that in that complex. The Saint was on Cheshire Bridge Road. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a Sweet Gumhead. Open the open. Well, the Sweet what Gumhead. What's the twenty four hour bar um, um, where Tara is? It was a black twenty four hour club. I don't know. Okay. Um, I, I can't remember. Club anytime. No, it was, um, <laughs> I'll think of it. But there was a whole bunch of activity on the street. And even still to this day, people who are coming from outside of, you know, not that don't live in Midtown, are coming on 85. They get off right there at Cheshire Bridge. Even if they're going to go to Amsley, they pretty much go right by your bar. And not anymore. Prominent, huh? The bridge. <laughs> not since the bridge got burned down. Oh, oh that's right. <laughs> Oh well, yeah, and it, it's supposed to reopen by October thirty first. It, it it burnt down August of twenty twenty one, and it's been closed ever since. Yeah, I remember seeing the pictures of that. I forgot about that. Yeah. So that was a hard thing to navigate too, and then COVID, and but we've made we've maintained. So, well, fortunately, you had you know twenty seven years of experience at that location before all this tragedy started kind of happening. Yeah. (laughs) 
So you do all kinds of events throughout the year. You have, you know, as an homage to the sports page, apparently, you even have sports page reunions where those women that went there 40 years ago get to come back to the same exact building that they might have gone to when they were, you know, 18 and experience um, a sports page reunion right there at the Heritage. Yeah, um, Kathy Diebler, um, uh, I guess she approached Bev and then Bev got her in touch with me. Kathy Diebler used to be a DJ at the sports page. Um, and where does she live now, Florida or in the mountains? Anyway. She, she's tra- she goes back and forth Yeah, from Florida to the mountains. The mountains in the summer, I don't know, one yeah. or the other, she switches. So she um, um, she and she has a Facebook group, a sports page family Facebook group is a private group um, and they they would plan reunions um, at different, you know, different small things. Well, this it was probably 10 years ago, I guess, was the first one here at the home of the sports page. And I was I was exceptionally excited about it. Um, um, Bev was, of course, and Kathy was. I mean, everybody was so excited to because most of most of the girls had had not been into the heretic or into this building since the day that the sports page closed. Right. However many years that that was. So um, we we planned the event. It was a Saturday afternoon, and it started I think at like two o'clock. And when it was the sports page, the um, the the girls would enter through the front, the Cheshire Bridge entrance instead wow. of the, on the side. Um, so we, we wanted to set it up where they walked in the same entrance. And, and I stood in, just inside the door um, at, at a table watching the girls come in. And it was, it was probably one of the best, the best times that I've had here, just watching the girls. They'd walk in, and you just see them looking around going and pointing, going, remember that, you know, this and that, because they had not been in this building since sports page had closed. And uh, it was, I think we had 500 uh, lesbians throughout the day here. It was, it was amazing. It was so fantastic. Yeah. And Kathy Diebler, if you're watching, we need to do another one. Somebody should put a plaque on that building because if I'm not mistaken, unless I'm missing something in my memory banks, that building is the longest continuously operating gay bar in Atlanta. I can't think of another one that's been around longer than that one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, Blake's. No, Blake's moved. What about Bulldogs? I don't know. I don't have to look and see when Bulldogs open. I don't know either. Blake's, Blake's was originally located on 10th Street and Piedmont. I mean, Peach Street. It was originally a 10th and Peach Street. Um, Kind of diagonally across from Margaret Mitchell House, or whatever it was, but it was a tenth and Peachtree where Johnson Jills was later, and a couple other bars moved in. And the same uh, Trammell Crow, the same developer that kind of booted weekends out of their location across the street from Blake's, uh, also booted Blake's out of their location there, and that's when Blake's moved down to the park. So Blake's has not been in the same location. And at the time when Blake's moved to the park is also the time when Burkhart's opened. Now that's, that might be another contender. What, what was that bar called before? Eddie or something? Crazy Rays. No, Crazy Rays is where Mix is. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, what was that, Bev? Um, um, what, what was what? I missed the... 
Burkhardt. Burkhardt's before it was. Annie, get your gun, or Annie Oakley's, or something like that. It was a different. It wasn't a gay bar. I don't think. I no, I don't think no. But uh, in any event, where it's been there a long, long time as an operating as. I, I think the sports paper is open in probably twenty years. Wow! Yeah, it was pretty well established. So that's so we're looking. We're fifty plus years. Yeah. As prior to that, it was a seafood fish. It was a it was a restaurant. Molly McGuire. Molly Malone's Chowderhouse. Yeah. Okay. And their claim to fame was this really big guy. I can't think of his name. Two ton Tim or something coming in to eat. And they had had a newspaper article about him eating there. And he was a 25 cent, 25 cent catfish. All you can eat. Well, I promise I am not going to make any jokes about that building changing from a seafood restaurant to a lesbian bar. They've all been made. I know, I know they have. So <laughs> just leave them where they are. So, <laughs> so in addition to starting the Bev Cook College of Bartending and Management, what is in the future for the, the Heritage team here? What, are, what do we see for Bev and Alan five or 10 years down the road? You mean other than a walker <laughs> and a wheelchair? <laughs> You're talking about um, yourself, right? Because Bev's going to be running marathons. And- oh, yeah, she is. She, she, <laughs> the woman doesn't age. I mean, I look at her. I know. It's <laughs> insane. It looks like she's 29. <laughs> so well, we, it's we the lighting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't speak for Bev, and, and we don't know the future. Um, but I do know that we will be here serving the community as long as the community will have us. Um, you know, that's pretty much been our, uh, as long as there's a need for, for us, um, we're going to be here. And um, yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. I concur. Do you think if, um, if some of these nasty people at City Hall get their way, that Heretic will relocate or will that pretty much put an end to it? Do you think if, if they move you out of Chesterbury? Well, not, nobody, nobody's going to be here in 10 years. Um, right. Yeah, it, it'll be probably 10 years when they start finally start acquiring property. Um, and that's a decision that, that Bev, and, Bev and Ray and myself will need to make, to need, to, need to make because, one, to find a, another location um, if we were forced to do so would be very difficult. And then if you find another location, will it really ever be the same bar? Well, you know, you just don't know. So that's a big question mark to that question. Yeah, it's it's a tough market there. It's that place has changed so much. You know, Cheshire Bridge Road was really in large part made by gay bars and gay customers. I mean, there's so much business there that depended on (laughs) I'm going to mention a name that uh, is probably going to make Bev chuckle a little bit, but down the street, you know, if you if you went to a gay bar in the 80s in Atlanta, you inevitably ended up at Dunkin' Don. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> you yeah. know, before before the popularity of Waffle House, or I think even the existence of Waffle House, um, Dunkin' Don was like where every gay person went after after they left the bar, unless they were at Backstreet. Uh, because mm-hmm. then you were there till 10 or 11 in the morning and then you probably went down to Shoney's for their weekend brunch or whatever their weekend right but uh, 
but yeah, it was it was quite the the active strip for for gay life back in the nineties. Um, well, it was sort of a red light district, you know, because I had the strippers and the gay clubs and the strip clubs and the just the same. The she club was there, I think, earlier. Yeah, and I get a kick out of it. I was talking to Alan the other day. Um, I've known Michael Morrison for quite a while, and um, I was blown away when they remodeled the building there at his insurrection, uh, Tokyo Valentino now, that at the, at the Piedmont end of uh, Cheshire Bridge Road and did an incredible job making it look like it belonged on the Vegas Strip or something. It, it doesn't look like it belongs on uh, Cheshire Bridge. And yet these whiny people who live like a couple blocks away from there in that neighborhood tucked behind it, act like you know it's an affront to their morality to have this place there. And I'm like, this place was here long before you even thought about living here, let alone exactly. children and, and pushing them in their stroller in front of the building. And even if you do, that building does not look like anything seedy. It looks like a beautiful boutique. Or, you know, nobody would ever guess that there were sex toys and slings inside that building. But um, from just looking at it, so I don't no. know what everybody's up in arms about. And the same is true of the heretic. The heretic doesn't have anything untoward about the outside of it. It looks like a proper business, a bar or whatever with a, you know, there's nothing crazy about it. You don't have a giant well, that, 12 foot penis in the parking lot <laughs> this week. Um, yeah, well, I would say we probably have had though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> well, pride's coming up, so. Yeah. I don't know about 12 foot penises though. <laughs> so pride, yeah. is coming, pride is coming up. Uh, pride in Atlanta is, is celebrated in October every year, which is a much, much better uh, time of year than the old late June when we used to, you know, sweat buckets at Piedmont Park for, for two days. Um, what is it going to be like at the Heritage for Pride? How many people come through the door there on a busy weekend like Pride or New Year's Eve or whatever? <laughs> a lot, a lot of people, <laughs> but never, never over capacity. Um, uh, we're going to have a, um, a, we have, <laughs> what, <laughs> um, sorry, um, we have eight, eight separate events uh, scheduled over the weekend that's from actually 10 Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday, one on Monday, two on Monday, actually. Um, um, it, it's grown into quite the, the craziness. Um, it used to be just the, the events at night, but then when we started the, the tea dances and stuff on the back patio, um, though, those have become very popular. And so now we have two events, um, on Saturday, one in the afternoon, tea dance, and one at night, and then the uh, tea dance Sunday afternoon, and one at night. Um, so it's going to be quite, quite crazy. Um, we've already um, surpassed ticket sales from this time last year. Um, yeah, it's going to be. It, 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 last year was probably the busiest Pride um, that we've had, um, but but we're anticipating this year to be even busier because last year was canceled. Pride was canceled officially. Right. Um, so with Pride, actually, this is the first Pride that is happening post-COVID. Um, it 
the entire city is going to be insane. It is. And I will be there adding one more to the insanity. <laughs> so I will definitely come by and see you, uh, Alan. Unfortunately, I will not be in Ohio, so I will not see Bev that weekend. But um, I'm sure I'll see her again sometime. She knows how to Zoom now, so we'll, we'll Zoom her in. <laughs> yeah. That... <laughs> I'm not sure I wanted to open that floodgate, but... <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do a little pop in this year. I'll be there, but I don't know if for pride or not. It's all good. But y'all have done a great job with um, with Heritage. It is an amazing space. Thank you. Here on Cheshire Bridge. Congratulations on coming up on your what did you say? Thirty second anniversary, thirty first anniversary of Heritage. Is that right? Yep. At Heritage, yes. Yeah, and thirty second in the space. Correct. That's quite an accomplishment. And uh, we're very glad to have you there. We look forward to, to seeing the crowds at, uh, at Atlanta Pride this year and to seeing you there for another 10 years until they force you out of the space. <laughs> so good luck. I don't know. We might, we might outlive them. I don't know. We might. You never know. Because that Chester Bridge Road study was done a long time ago. And I don't understand that concept. Why, you know, I like Cheshire Bridge the way it is. <laughs> but Me too. What are, you gonna, what are they going to do next? Get a little five points and and put up luxury high rise condos and yeah, they've got, there's several already there on yeah. Cheshire Bridge. Yeah, we have two two across the street right now. There's more before before all the construction. The the traffic was horrible. It was bad enough. There was too much traffic, and they've added probably eight hundred to a thousand apartments. Um, over the past couple of years. And so once the bridge reopens, I, I can't wait to see how, how ludicrous the traffic's going to be. <laughs> well, you know, I want to rent a $4,000 a month apartment across from a water processing plant or whatever that is over there. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> well, thanks so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about uh, your history in the Atlanta uh, bar business and about, in particular, the Heritage. And we look forward to seeing you during Pride. And thank you thank for doing you, what Art. you're doing. Um, what, what uh, I'm, I'm sure, what, when <laughs> what you're doing is is something that's needed, and we appreciate it so much. I know when Bev um, Bev sent me the message about um, doing all this, I was like, I don't have time for this, blah, blah. and I really sat down. I'm like, this man is 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 preserving history. That, you know, in, in 20 years when we're not here anymore, people are going to look and like, oh, I remember the heretic. And, and we're, we're going to be so happy we did it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. That concludes another episode of the Gay Archive Show. For more information about this episode or to find more episodes, visit GayBarchives.com.